Wrestling Geeks How are you guys doing out there? Wrestling Geeks Alliance is for you. This is Dane Alves with another episode. Uh, we got some stuff to talk about. We got a pay-per-view from last weekend. We have a pay-per-view that's going to be happening as we record on Saturday in a couple of hours. So we're going to review, preview, and if you guys are new listeners, hey, you know, we, we talk about the best in wrestling. We have a lot of fun doing it. And uh, we hope that you uh, enjoy yourselves and stick around. So if you guys like us, give us a five-star rating. Subscribe. That would be great. And I could not do the show alone. Of course, with me is my great co-hostess with the mostest, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. I got to think of a better thing than co-hostess because it just comes off like kind of <laughs> you're a lady. And that's not what I mean. I was just trying to rhyme. And, and uh, yeah, it doesn't fit. But anyways, how you doing? I mean, I'll be the co-hostess. I'm not afraid to be the gold dust of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing great, man. Busy week at work, man. I worked late. Uh, I had some 13-hour days, which in the uh, in in my world is kind of rare. I know uh, you you over there in the uh, warehouse gets a little more crunk, but for me. That's kind of a, a rarity. So it's, it was it was a little bit of a rough week. We had some video game releases. We had some TV shows come out. And uh, you were telling me about this Method Man thing before we started this show because we forgot we started this show. Also, apologies to all the listeners out there. We did have technical difficulties last week. So you're not going to get our predictions. You're just going to get the results of the show from last week. So apologies. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. We were both having, you know, I, I was having audio issues. We were trying to figure out a way to adapt it. So apologize about that. Chris did all his due diligence to try to bring it back to, uh, you know, being decent to listen to and uh, didn't happen. So uh, like he said, like I said already, apologize about that. We did do an episode, though, last week. It just did not uh, format. Uh, so Anyways, we'll make up for that with a shorter but fun show that we have for you today. But before we go into that, we should uh, do our normal uh, beginning thing. Uh, what you what you watching, Chris? Uh, television, movie, what, what, what do you got to say? What you do? Just We both worked a lot this week because I'm assuming you wanted a four-day weekend like I did. So we had to get a lot of shit done, at least at the warehouse. Uh, but... What have you been keeping up with this week outside of wrestling? Oh, outside of wrestling, pretty much nothing, man. It, it's pretty much all wrestling. And uh, I watched some Top Gear, which I love, but I've seen pretty much every episode, at least the Jeremy Clarkson version of every episode. Uh, so I rewatched a little bit of that, which is still great. And um, I watched some Diagnosis Murder. Have you ever watched that show, Dane? Oh, it's one of my mom's favorites. Is that with uh, Mr. Uh, uh, wow, I can't think of his name. I was about to say Dick Clark. Dick Van Dyke, right? 
Yeah, Dick Van Dyke. Um, <laughs> so uh, one episode I watched in particular was basically about Martha Stewart murdering someone. Oh, wow. Like they had a character that was basically Martha Stewart. And uh, she had gotten impregnated in college and then had a baby that she gave up for adoption and then switched. And then there was a Howard Stern type radio DJ that was just constantly insulting her because, you know, she she basically took his child and, you know, broke up with him and went on to go to an Ivy League school or whatever and became Martha Stewart. But anyways, she uh, she puts like pennies in all of the um Instead of fuses in the fuse box, she stacks those with pennies for a conductor, and she wired his hair dryer so that he would, as soon as he used it for the first time, he would basically die out of the shower. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, your boy, diagnosis, doctor diagnosis murder himself. He figures it out, and uh, it has a lot of really awkward scenes where he's doing cooking recipes. <laughs> so, watch some of Jesus. that, and I watched. Uh, I watched Walker, Texas Ranger, but outside of wrestling and that, uh, I, I'm starting to replay Grand Theft Auto V. If anyone is interested, any of the fans out there, let me know. I, uh, I think I've started doing like speed runs of this game. So if anyone wants to see my attempt at a speed run of Grand Theft Auto V, uh, let us know at Chris R. Patton, Twitter, Christopher.R.Patton on Facebook. Uh, I will save that. And load it up for you guys. I've gotten pretty damn quick at that game, Dane. Yeah, well that that's good. I mean, it's a fun game to get quick at. Now, now I I forgot, Chris. What was what did you watch after Diagnosis Murder? Oh, Walker Texas Ranger, as one does on Pluto do you, TV. Do you, do you enjoy? Um, game show uh like the game show network or anything like that no (laughs) well i I do like i like the jeopardy because i swear to god walker texas ranger um diagnosis murder and um beverly hills now 210 are three of her favorite shows of all time so you got three of them so mama mama alves would be very proud of you right now that's what i wanted to let you know oh great (laughs) <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad that Mama Alice would be proud of me, and uh, uh, she's not gonna feel that proud of. Uh, oh, your boy's Dylan's son. He's acting up out here, which actually is kind of par for the course, honestly. <laughs> so you're referencing Jack Perry's heel turn, which we'll talk more about. But specifically, since we're not really gonna go, I, I, I felt like personally, and uh, we're gonna be having two wrestling shows to kind of preview uh, that are both happening today on Saturday, but dynamite raw and SmackDown just basically, it was a progression of stories and some matches. Uh, But I will say that jungle boy, that pre-tape they did and his speed to get to that fucking car and dive in it. Tope suicida style. I thought that, you know, um, they would have called that, especially with Excalibur. On the mic. Tope Suicida! Because he fucking did that, got in the car, and they took the fuck off before Hook could kill him. But I think this was a much-needed heel turn. I know that a week ago I was like, you know, I like them as a tag team. I think if they just did this, it could be like a Rock and Roll Express. You got one that's more technical, and then you got fucking Jungle Boy, and then he just beats the shit out of him. I guess I should have saw that coming, Chris, but I did not. 
<laughs> I thought I thought that I mean what I put forth on the pay per view beforehand with him turning uh, against everyone else in the match, Sammy Guevara and um, Darby Allen, and kind of aligning himself with MJF would have made more sense storyline wise, and you still could have got the heel turn, but whatever they turned him heel. It's not working. Um, I've heard other podcasts being like, he's their, he's their purest baby face. And I was like, ah, I don't know. I think Darby Allen, Wardlow, you know, there's other people I would put above him, especially because the crowd is starting to exactly. turn against. Yeah, Mark I mean, Brisco. the crowd. Yeah, Mark Briscoe. Yeah, the crowd is starting to turn against the guy. So it it's time to turn him heel because he's not at a level where he can do like a CM Punk or John Cena thing and just get multiple reactions. Yeah, so CM Punk. Wow, that was a that was a crazy concept. Um, you know, but uh, anyways, to end the Jungle Boy talk uh, before we talk about something like that, uh, I really I think the seal turn is going to do him good. He seemed very comfortable. Um, he's he did say that he's banging the baddest bitch there, which was um, I mean, uh, his his girlfriend is extremely attractive. That's all I'm going to fucking say at so. I'm glad he's embraced this Hollywood douchebag kind of, which all of us thought that he could definitely pull off, and he seems more comfortable. Do you think that Christian has anything to do with this? I have maybe, maybe Christian's in his ear. That would be great because Christian is a great promo, but he is not banging the baddest bitch there. I mean, because Emi Sakura is still technically a member of AEW, and she's definitely the baddest bitch there. I'm, I'm kidding, <laughs> Jamie Hater. You know I love you. But yeah, that that was an interesting uh, concept. Let's go into that next concept because this will kind of drive us from last collision, and also you know we'll get into the match that he had uh, with Kojima. But you know, I'm sure that he's going to get mixed reactions. CM Punk is a very, I mean, his song is uh, Cult of Personality. I mean, that's kind of definition of what he stands for, but. Very obviously, Chicago, he's going to have a positive intro. You would think that he might get some positivity in Toronto since he, he worships Bret Hart, but uh, apparently that did not happen. And uh, when we watched Collision last week, uh, you know, his reaction right then and there, um, and then also obviously with Kojima, uh, made the matches very different. And I think with Punk and Kojima, you know, Punk basically embraced it. And as he said in his promo, Chris, if you want to boo me, boo me. If you want to cheer me, cheer me. I, I would just love if, like, most cities are cool with Punk and then he's hated in Canada. So he has, like, the opposite of Bret Hart back in uh, 96 and 97. I think he underestimated the amount that people love Kenny Omega. <laughs> really? This entire thing? So, yeah, going into Canada, people are going to be like, Kitty Omega is the Sean in this situation. It's kind of like a reverse yeah. role. Because uh, Kitty Omega. I forgot. Sorry to cut you off, but I, I completely forgot that Kenny is from fucking uh, <laughs> Canada, and that's what it would be about, essentially, is that it doesn't matter if he worships the old legend. Kenny is the guy from fucking Canada now that he yeah. is, you know had problems with 
I mean, he's the top. He's in the top five, top ten best wrestlers in the world right now, unless you're Jim Cornette, and then he's absolute trash. Um, but like, yeah, Kenny Omega. I mean, he's like got to be a Canadian hero up there, right? Like, he's he's fucking great. And also, he wasn't even part of the fight, really, <laughs> and got suspended right after coming back from injury. So, like, if you're if you're hard for your boy from Canada, uh, you're not going to cheer CM Punk. Also, I have a feeling that a lot of people that are outside of uh, Chicago are not going to cheer for CM Punk. So they might as well get used to that very mixed reaction. It's a very interesting concept, but yeah, since I don't think any of us really, or either one of us, we're so busy at working and there's so much wrestling and shit like that. I didn't get a lot of stuff that I talked about. Fortunately, we talked about stuff last time, but that's um, neither here nor there. So let's kind of, uh, let's go into this, man. Uh, You know, I thought that AEW put on a incredible pay-per-view. I think it was a bit too long. I unfortunately had to go back and rewatch two of the biggest matches on it with Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega, and then later with Okada and Brian Danielson because I just could not stay awake. And I was half asleep when I watched them, and I'm so glad that I've seen both of them twice now since then because they were definitely the two best matches. We'll get to how we feel specifically about them. But Forbidden Door, how did you feel about the pay-per-view itself, Chris? Uh, Great pay-per-view. Lots of good wrestling matches. There was, I mean, they had specifically dead spot matches, like the uh, female title match that they had. They kind of threw in there to separate matches. And then the uh, tag team match with Sting, they threw in there to break up basically what would have been the main events. I probably would have put one first and one at the end if it was me um, or put MJF at the end and kind of shifted the card a little bit, but that's nitpicking uh, as far as watching the pay-per-view itself and the quality of matches and stuff. It, it was a, it was pretty fucking good. Honestly, uh, I don't have a whole lot to complain about. I mean, the, the sting match kind of got out of sorts, but I'm pretty sure sting got a concussion in the match. And then flew and then dove through two tables on dynamite and almost killed himself. So I don't know what Sting's doing. Yeah, that's definitely an issue that I have, you know, just because I'm worried about the Stinger. I mean, let's let's be honest. Even though, do I think that they go maybe a little bit, they have, they're maybe a little more strict with their policies in WWE. And that's why it was like after that injury and, him not being able to feel certain parts of his body from those back-to-back shots of going through the fucking announce table with Seth and then the uh, powerbomb in the corner. Um, I, I, I'm not going to say that Dr. Samson and AEW's lax by any means, but they seem to be more lax, at least about that protocol, because ugh, um, I'm even surprised that the main event finished. Honestly, and they definitely stopped a couple times to check on Brian Danielson with a broken arm. But Sting's got to be careful, man. I know he's on his last run, but he wants to be able to run in real life afterwards, I would hope. Yeah, the main event came off very like after Brian Danielson got hurt, which he did a great job. 
which part of it is not actually selling because I'm sure it hurt like a motherfucker. But uh, being able to get to the finish, the, and it's a big detractor, and we'll get into it when we get into the match, but it's a big detractor because you know that him and Okada had like another five minutes lined up because that's, that's how Okada matches shine is like the last like five or six minutes. The build up to the end. So like if you hear Jim Cornette's review of it, he was like, well, it came off kind of flat. And you're like, well, yeah, because they couldn't do all the shit that Okada normally does. You know, Okada usually like he builds and builds and builds. And at the very end, it's like a very it's, it's like the uh, the end of Rocky one. Right. Where they're just standing toe to toe and beating the shit out of each other. In the last round. Ends in a draw. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okada's the best at that. And and Brian Danielson is damn good at that as well. So the ending would have made, I think, more sense if Brian Danielson didn't get hurt. And uh, for anyone out there blaming that on Okada, I'm just going to say that's a freak accident. Like nine times out of ten, Brian Danielson gets his arm out of the way. Okada hits the elbow drop the same way he always hits that elbow drop. He's hit that thing a bazillion times. Uh, yeah, that's a freak. It's just a freak fucking accident. He's just cursed in AEW. Every time yeah. he shows up, he just injures a major star, apparently. And um, I just want to. I think everyone knows that I'm a big fan of Jim Cornette, but even if you are a fan or if you're not a fan, I mean, you just got to realize that there's nothing that Okada is going to be able to do. He's put him over before. But it seems like the negativity he has with Kenny Omega that derives from silly stuff he did in front of not a lot of fucking people before he even made it in DDT. And some of the dumb shit that he was witness to in Tennessee, who was known for fucking doing that, it gets to the point where it's like, now I'm, I know why he doesn't harp on it too much, but I'm glad that Brian Last will even admit that he enjoyed stuff more or he doesn't agree with them or he'll call him out and just being biased kind of, but think what you want about Kenny Omega, but that should really should not influence about how much you were annoyed from that match affect Okada. I mean, the biggest thing that I just don't think he understands is that how big these guys are in Japan um, and to the audience of America, because I didn't watch fucking Japanese wrestling too much besides like secondhand tapes back in the 90s when I was younger um, that you were able to get at video stores and shit. And I mean, sadly, some of them, most of them were like FMW. They weren't even all Japan or fucking New Japan's like biggest stuff. So I, I just, Jim Cornette frustrates me. He's Mr. Garrison. I mean, it really just comes down to it. Some of the stuff that he says I'm a big fan of and I agree with and some of the other stuff. I'm just like, I just have to roll my eyes and just, just kind of deal with it. But, uh, yeah, I listened to his review on some of this stuff, and I just I was kind of annoyed. Um, but whatever. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do when it comes to that shit. Same thing if, if, I mean, if um, you know, um, any, any, of the, any of the major people, speakers within wrestling, even if I have respect for them, um, when they say stuff, it's like, gee, just, uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, like, if his criticisms were like, don't get dragon suplexed on your head, and maybe the match could have been a little shorter, <laughs> then that would be a thing. 
but that's not what the criticisms come off as. They're just like, fuck both these guys. One looks like a Q-tip and one fucked an inflatable doll one time what 20 the, years ago. Chris, one of the things, and I'm glad that Brian last said it because I felt like it too, where he was like, is the is the Rainmaker not like the bet like the fifth best fucking clothesline we've seen tonight? And I understand that in the perspective that you saw a lot of other wrestlers that were Japanese doing clotheslines. But at the same time, and Brian last like, I don't believe that. I don't think you do too. I think that you're just being kind of biased. He kind of threw it back at him. Like, you know, I don't know. But because Jim doesn't know. Or Jim doesn't know what's popular because he's in his bubble. It's def- definitive stuff, you know. Uh, I don't know. I, I just disagree, and I like him for the stuff. <laughs> That's kind of a fucked up concept. When I disagree with him, fuck him. But if I agree with him, I like him. That's just Jim Cornette. That's kind of Dave Meltzer, too, and a lot of other people. Yeah, I, I I saw some people on Jim Cornette's thing. It's like, and Brian Alvarez praised the match. And I was like, uh, specifically the dragon suplex spot. And I was like, no, he definitely pointed out that Kenny Omega got dropped on his fucking head. And that that's super dumb. And uh-huh. he shouldn't do that. Because <laughs> it's very fucking dumb to do that. Unless it's going to lead to like a huge injury angle. Like, I do agree with Jim Cornette. If you're going to do that kind of spot where you just get dropped on your neck, it should lead to something, right? Um, which this is not going to uh, because they're going to set up a match at Wembley or Wrestle Kingdom for the uh, the three-peat, I would assume. But, yeah, it's it, it's it's always weird kind of hearing. I, I mean, I understand old-school mindset of wrestling, uh, but Okada Daniel or Brian Danielson gave you that. They basically did that. Um, the only problem he could really have with it is the finish was flat, and Brian Danielson got his arm broken. So it's kind of hard to know what that match would have been. That it, I guarantee you, if Brian Danielson doesn't get his arm broken, the last five minutes of that match would have been straight fucking fire, Dane. It would have been better than the Kenny and Will match. But uh, they had to call it audible, obviously. Yeah, and we've already had a bunch of great matches so far, including that night, the second Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega match. So this year has been pretty stacked with that, but that definitely took back from the ending. I'm sure they, like you said, they have more to go. And once Brian's healed up, I'm hoping that we can definitely get some more matches between them. Um, I'm pretty sure he's going to be out now if they had any plans for him. Uh, for Wembley because it's coming up soon and he's at least I don't think he like completely broke his arm but like fractured it or cracked it and it's not as long of of a time period but I don't know if that's going to happen for the next pay-per-view I know that a lot of people were talking about that so that sucks if they were definitely you know well if they were planning I shouldn't say definitely if they're planning on doing another Okada uh, Brian Danielson match on that, that would have been pretty fucking, that would have been a great match to have a part of that whole entire thing at all in. And I think it still might happen because it's like six weeks. Maybe Brian wrestles with the cast or whatever. But the problem is, is uh, the corner he took it out of, it uh, didn't kind of land on his right arm. And I think that's what hurt the finish is because I'm going to go on a limb and assume that like the finish was going to be 
you know, Okada hitting like two rainmakers and doing the third one to drag him up and then Brian locking him into the LaBelle lock, which would have been a great ending to that match. Right. Um, but it was just so slow and like you could obviously tell Okada was like, are you all right? And, uh, you know, shout out to Brie Bella for giving us the injury update on Twitter with the x-ray. Photo. <laughs> Do you think that she was like in the back? Like, God damn it. Like when she saw him like favoring his arm, she probably knew, um, that it was not good. I, I just have to say, though, when it really comes down to it, Brian Danielson is a fucking beast. Because I don't give a shit if it's just a crack or a fracture compared to a completely compound fracture or, or, or straight break. Um, that had have been incredibly painful. And there was a couple times, I mean, Brian Danielson knows that Okada picks you up with certain arm because he's right-handed. So the way you would have to pick him up like he was giving him his arm, even though it's fucking cracked and probably causing so much pain to set up the Rainmaker, which definitely, I think, lessened uh, the, the the degree that Okada could do. Because like you said, I mean, he's in there with a legend. This has been placed as like water and fire, if you will, in elements of like the best wrestlers in the world. So I'm sure he felt fucking terrible, but this is wrestling. And, um, you know, whatever you want to say, I think that I, I, I forgot about something that we should talk about um, when it comes to wrestling and, and something that happened recently before we go over this pay-per-view. But, like, wh- what's your response, Chris? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, like, like I said, I think it was just completely, you know, the arm gets broken. Brian Danielson probably told Okada in whatever way he could tell Okada, because there's also a language barrier there. He's like, hey, my shit's fucked up. We got to work the opposite side to the finish of that match. Otherwise, I think the end of that match would have been because this is an Okada match. It would have been fucking great. Right. Um, What a hoss, though. Man wrestled there with the bone gone. (laughs) The thing was split apart. He saw the x-rays. And he was in there doing like collar and elbow tie-ups and stuff with one arm just completely disconnected, which is insane. I don't want to see Brian Danielson doing that, but it is insane. And now you look at like uh, Cody Rhodes's like torn pectoral, and you're like, yeah, dog. But like <laughs> Brian Danielson did it with a broken arm against Okada, so. I do feel bad for Okada though, because it's like he's done two forbidden doors and it's both major superstars and Okada never injures anyone. <laughs> and both time he's had an AEW match, top guys get taken out. Yeah, but I don't think any of that is his fault. And I think most wrestling fans, I, well, I would say that, but there's a lot of fucking idiots. Um, the Adam Cole thing was just. I mean, he already had a fucking concussion beforehand, so kind of like what I was going over beforehand, there's a little bit lax, it seems like, sometimes on AEW, um, him going into that, and shit happens, and this is the same situation. I mean, it was Danielson's arm being out, and Okada doing his fucking elbow drop the exact same way. It wasn't like the elbow drops in the uh, Kojima and CM Punk match where Kojima just nailed him in the ball sack. That kind of sucked, but... (laughs) God, that was pretty fucking funny. 
Uh, yeah, and I do have to cut in here because I because I did listen to Jay, and, and and CM Punk went up to the top and hit a perfect elbow drop. CM Punk has never hit a perfect elbow drop in his entire fucking career. Get the fuck out of here. Six hours, and it's like, are you gonna fucking do this, or is the other guy gonna? But he's milking the crowd. He actually did probably after getting hit in the balls from a awful uh, elbow drop, probably did. And I mean, this isn't saying much. The best elbow drop in his professional wrestling career to Kojima. Well, goddamn, he had ten minutes to set up. <laughs> like, love of fucking god. Um, a lot of people were really mad about, uh, or at least Japanese fans were really mad about the way CM Punk treated that match. Uh, especially some of the delays and stuff he did in between moves, like his finisher, etc. I just took it as a language barrier and that CM Punk was working heel. Yeah. Um, but I, I do know that that was like a thing that was circulating. It was like, oh, CM Punk disrespected New Japan. I was like, I don't think he meant to. Even if he did, I don't on, think he guys. actually meant to. I'm sure I'm, it sounds like he picked Kojima because he thought he was a legend. Kojima leading up to this, I, I guess people don't realize, he literally said he was going to murder CM Punk. So I don't think him switching heel. And I'm sure they were like, look, I, I'm probably going to get booed. So I might go more blah, 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 whatever way they can communicate that. I'm sure Kojima knows a little bit of English. But, yeah, I saw that too. It's like, that's what you're bitching about? Like, God damn it! Like, whatever. But, yeah, I think he was just acting heel. Um, I, I don't know. Did they not want to, want him to do that? But, well, I guess we should probably go into this, shouldn't we? Yeah, I mean, well, before we before we dive all the way into it, I mean, Punk should act heel against New Japan because fuck New Japan, you're in all elite wrestling, right? It's like SmackDown versus Raw. Like, if you're on the SmackDown team, you shouldn't give a shit about the Raw team. That's Basically. just <laughs> so you know, if if Punk is getting booed, he should work heel. Um. There's a couple of moments like that, and we'll get into this when we talk about commentary, because me and you kind of talked about this yesterday. But uh, I, when they do these, they don't know how to tell a full storyline because it's not booked out in advance, which I would just go ahead and say, like, look, Tony Khan, if you want to do this in January, maybe give it to Gato and let him write exactly. the storylines. <laughs> just fucking let Gato fucking book the whole thing, or at least most of it. He seems to know what he's doing when it comes to fucking doing good paper involving New Japan stars. Especially like long term storybooking, right? Like the match that we're getting with Kenny and because we're going to get a third one with Kenny and Will, I'm sure. That's Gato. He's like, oh, we'll have Kenny win it at Wrestle Kingdom. Then we'll beat him. And then the next time around, you know, it, we can do a toss up of whoever's more over. And if we decide that Will's going to win G1 or we can, we, you know, they can change it on the fly. Tony's like, let's just put a f- bunch of fucking guys against each other. Sick. Yeah. And I, I think that even if they want to stretch it, which they basically did with Kenny and Okada, do the next match you could do two out of three and they both get right to the last one or something like that. Uh, to even. I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm just saying like there's there. 
it got a little bit sporadic, but we'll we'll get into that. I didn't want to say we we mentioned we were talking about uh, the concept of how bad Okada felt about Brian Danielson and being in that moment and Adam Cole, and that kind of reminds me of a situation in which a professional wrestler that we do know, um, or at least I'm sure a good amount know um, of draws, uh, we found out passed away last night. Um, when they reported it, or yesterday in general on a Friday um, of July or uh, June thirty uh, first, um, and I, I guess the biggest thing is to say that Draws had ridiculous amount of potential. I think he's mainly known for coming into WWE. If you watched, um, what was the name of the movie again? Chris, the, the, the documentary. Beyond it, the it's be, beyond the mat. And unfortunately that's what he's going to be known most for because Vince McMahon, such a goddamn character being like, he's got a, he's got a. And unfortunately things that would follow up from there uh, for Darren Drozdov, uh It was a hard situation. I, I, I think that he was definitely better than fucking Heidenreich. But to be a part of an angle where the more, the arguably more popular member of LOD is kicked out and he's going through real issues in real life that they're displaying um, and he's replacing Hawk in LOD um, probably wasn't easy to go, uh, you know, go along with for a first major storyline. Uh, didn't do him any favors, really. Then he was in Brawl for All. And he had a tragic match, and this goes back to what I was saying about wrestlers feeling terrible uh, with D'Lo, in which, you know, they went for a move, uh, you know, and he was dropped on his neck and paralyzed. Um, Still having really good spirit about it, saying that's basically what happens. Uh, And also, D'Lo has said that not only does he, or at least he did keep up with them and they became friends afterwards and, you know, just felt terrible about it. Even saying he still has nightmares of the whole entire situation and uh, just basically blames himself for it. And this is a situation in wrestling where stuff unfortunately happens because physical contact, there's lots of speed and, you know, I mean, very unfortunate situation for draws, but he was someone that still, you know, looked at it as for what it was and, uh, you know, just a sad situation, man. Um, just all in general, because from what many wrestlers have said, Draws had a lot of fucking potential within WWE. He had the look. He was known, unfortunately, for puking, like you said, but he also was picking up wrestling as an athlete previously before that in football uh, really quickly. So. R.I.P. to draws, Darren draws stuff. Chris. Yeah, definitely rest in peace. Uh, unfortunately, I just remember him from his tag team run in the Brawl for All. I don't even know if I saw the uh, D'Lo match live, because uh, that would have been back in the day where I would have been switching channels. Um, but very unfortunate. It is cool to see that they squashed the beef and. You know, D'Lo was very concerned about him, called him, went to the hospital, et cetera, and, like, really checked on him. 
I mean, things can happen when you're giving someone a pile driver. Someone slips like, you know, an inch and a half. That's their head, right? Like, uh, that there's a reason why Undertaker was the only person allowed to do a tombstone for the longest time after the Stone Cold incident. I mean, it is a move you can easily mess up and just unfortunate circumstances. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Draws definitely had a look. Uh, and I don't think that people would even remember the puke thing as far as like Monday Night Raw goes if it wasn't for Beyond the Mat, where Vince is just losing his shit about it that guy could probably could have went on to do something else it's like mark henry with sexual chocolate you know if you have a good athlete who's uh personable and charismatic you could like you can move on from a gimmick right like if they're that good and uh he was pretty damn good the weird thing is like uh when he was teaming with lod didn't the first round of brawl for all he had to fight a member of lod Maybe Hawk, I don't remember, but that was probably a crazy-ass match. Yeah, and then I think they gave, if I remember right, I think they gave Hawk the win because he threw the most punches. Brawl for All is stupid. Don't ever watch it. Uh, yeah. It's, 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 it's definitely one thing I 100% agree with pretty much you know, Jim Cornette and everyone that's talked about it. Why would you do that in wrestling? It's a bad, like for your company, it's just a bad idea, especially if you're just having normal ass wrestling matches around it. Um, yeah, Brawl for All is terrible. Yes, it who was. It, who ended up winning? Um, God, it was Billy Gunn's Bart tag Gun. partner, Bart Gunn. Yeah. Yeah, Bart Gunn ends up winning the thing, and his uh, prize is like, here's the money we promised you, but also you you have to have a boxing match with a professional boxer. Congratulations. And he beat the living fuck out of him. Yeah, it's oh, like, yeah. I, I think that's any kind of fighter. Like, if it's not, Bart Gunn could be the best bar fighter in the entire world, right? Like, but if you're like, okay, you have to put on gloves and then have this specific kind of fight, that's a, it's a very different thing. And we're starting to see that in these uh, some of these celebrity matches where, uh, I mean, I guess the, the one that comes to mind is like Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather, right? Where Floyd's just kind of toying with him. But you know if like Conor could shoot the legs or like do any kind of grappling, it could be an entire different story. It's like, what the fuck is this Matt? What? Why even have this? And the answer is Vince Russo. That's. I mean, that's that's the actual oh, answer. Yeah. That is definitely the actual answer. And I would like to say that I think that for someone that could have really uh, added to like the celebrity boxing of if it was nowadays, um, but instead of in the past, God, wouldn't wouldn't Bruce Hart just would have been great for? You know, something like this, the crazy fucking heart brother and just involved in, in celebrity, whatever the fuck, you know, him and him, him and Jake Paul could have had a fight. I think we missed out there, Chris. Old man Vern Gagne choking people out at the nursing home. Get him in there. Um. Yeah, have Vern fight uh, Abe Vergoda. Um. It, it's just it's, it's kind of the dumbest thing ever that exists, and, and it sucks that Jaws's name's associated to it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know he had a short run with like um, 
the headbangers and then he was an LOD and then he did brawl for all. And then he had a very short lived, uh, unfortunately very short lived singles run where they seemed like they were going to do something with him. Cause he was, uh, I think there was a European title match with D'Lo. If I remember yeah. correctly. So it's, you know, it's just unfortunate. And, uh, you know, big props to the guy for being so positive about it for all these years, you know, like he never, like a lot of wrestlers would have taken the time to be like, you know, bury the other person that hurt them or uh, the spot or whatever. But Jaws is like, hey, shit happens. And yep. um, that takes a big ass man to just be like, hey, man, things happen. Like that's it just ha- it just happened. It was a freak accident. D'Lo Brown's not really as far as I know, he's not hurt like a ton of it's not like Nyla Jax where every time she gets in the ring, she almost kills someone. Yeah, exactly. I think that it was just unfortunate situation. It happened, and uh, like you said, glad that someone like Draws was positive about it. But like we normally do, we're going to give uh, Draws 10 seconds, and a little 10 seconds of silent salute to a wrestler that has passed. R.I.P. Darren Drozov. All right. Well, uh, let's go through this pay-per-view, man. Um, you know, we got the, the forbidden door, if you will. Did you watch that much? Uh, basically, can we skip the pre-show, or do you want to go over any of these matches? I think the last one with... God, it, uh, and, and Hiromu kind of said that he wants a big match next time. And, God, him against some of these... Uh, some of the people in AEW, like Hiromu against fucking Darby Allen would be awesome. So uh, just want to shout out there, but specifically pre-show stuff. Did you want to talk about anything? I didn't watch the pre-show, so I don't have a hard opinion about any of the matches. I'm sure they were decent. I know Brian Cage was on, on was in a match, right? Yep. They did like a triple, like they did like a trios match. Um, was there anything that I did miss that I should be aware of? <laughs> No, I, I think the biggest thing is, like I said, the the main match was uh, LIJ, which was Shingo Takagi, Bushi, and Hiromu Takahashi. And they defeated United Empire, Jeff Cobb, Kyle Fletcher, and TJP. But other than that, I mean, El Fantasma and Stu Grayson had a really good match. Athena destroyed a local person in Billy Starks, who I believe is from Kentucky, because I think Jim was putting her over. Um, and then Mobile Embassy, like you said, Brian Cage, Tolione, um, Bishop Khan, and Swerve Strickland defeated uh, Chaos, which is Rocky Romero, Chuck Taylor, Tremperetta, and El Desperado. And that was, and uh, oh yeah, uh, Tom Lawler, since they didn't do the match with him and Adam Cole, which apparently they're rescheduling to have down the, the pipe, um, he beat the shit out of Serpentico in like four minutes and defeated him. <laughs> yeah have you have you saw the interview with uh filthy tom after that no what did he say like we call it adam cole no he was just so disappointed that he didn't get to have the match and brian alvarez was like did you at least get a big hug from tony he's like no nah, he gave me a handshake oh so i hope i hope he builds that into a storyline i really do 
Uh, I was re- that that was one match I was for sure looking forward to that I thought could be like a huge surprise. Yeah, like, filthy Tom on the map a little bit, you know. Yeah, but um, and also like a resurgence of uh Adam Cole to some extent because I I don't think his matches have been that great and Filthy would have just sold for him. They could have done a bunch of mat wrestling, and he would have just took like you know big man little man kind of match. I, I thought it was a good opponent for Adam Cole to step back into the limelight, but apparently he did like a Comic-Con or something signing and got sick. And that's also why Britt was out on Wednesday. She caught whatever Adam Cole caught, which is very bad. Um, props to Britt Baker though. Like she was vomiting up until the time of her match on Wednesday and was like, I'm, just let me go coach. Like she's Michael Jordan. Uh, but they were like, no, we don't want you to vomit in the ring. That would be bad. Yeah, we would not have wanted to see that. That's, But, yeah, they they did what they had to do with that whole situation. But, anyways, um, let's start off this thing. We started with the AEW World Championship match, 15 minutes and 30 seconds. MJF against Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um, well, I think it's pretty obvious, you know, MJF knows about New Japan, but it was uh, wonderful seeing him come out with a robe that said New Japan Pro Wrestling is an indie. Uh, very funny to keep on going, you know, on about this. And you had a great baby face going against a great heel. Um, I will say that on certain things, God, Tanahashi still has it, man. Him jumping over ropes and getting himself in position, you know, for certain things, his drop kicks, his, uh, you know, the hi-fi flow, just certain things look great. And then certain things, he's in like my top five, Chris, of wrestlers who, when I watch them walk around, they instantly make my knees that are fucked up hurt. Uh, Up there with Matt Hardy and uh, Keiji Muto, who I guess is retired off that list, and uh, a couple other people. But, um. You know, obviously that's the thing, and they're as as great as Tanashi does, and he still tries to do as much as he did, you know, years for the last several years and years ago. Um, it's impressive, but I thought this was still a really good match and a good win for fucking uh, MJF to put, you know, under his belt. He beat Tanahashi in one of these pay-per-views. And then probably, you know, in storyline, went out and had fun at the the honeys at the uh, the local bar, and then probably called up. I'm assuming Ric Flair checked to see if he was in the area. He wasn't, but it would have been fun if he was, you know. Woo! <laughs> well, he got Andrade instead, so I'm sure it was still pretty fun. Uh, Thank you, so. So with so Tanahashi is about to do G1, so he's about to have at least what five of these matches. Do you think that's a good idea? Uh, no, I mean he did not look like Tanahashi here, right? Like he's banged up. Just give him a break. They actually had a really good out if they would have had like MJF uh, injure him here, right? Like. I mean, I get it. 
Now, that being said, Sting did a bunch of dumb shit two nights in a row. <laughs> Tanahashi at least didn't do any dumb shit. So, there is that. Um, I don't know. Tanahashi's still great. I think MJF worked around Tanahashi being hurt. As a lot of people have said, Tanahashi just doesn't look like, you know, four or five years ago, Tanahashi. Or even longer than that, if you want to go back to like when it was him versus AJ Styles. But I just even, like I said, even a, like a few, like before COVID, Tanahashi, he's he's just banged up, man. He's done a lot. The guy's like what in his he's in his forties. I'm looking so. it up right now because I'm pretty sure that's that's the beauty of Tanahashi is that he's 46 years old. All right, and I'm wondering how old Shawn Michaels was when he retired, because that's one of Tanahashi's like you know biggest influences. Uh, age at first time for when he lost his smile, or when his back was hurt and he was addicted no. to painkillers, or when no, he came back and actually retired. <laughs> when he actually retired against Undertaker, um, so it was 2010. Wow, that was at the beginning of that decade? I didn't even realize that. I thought it was earlier than that. Uh, for, for, for for HBK? Yeah, Chris, you're, you're intelligent. All right, so he retired in 2010, and he was born in 1965. Uh, 55, right? Oh, he was 55 when he retired. So he... But Sean did have a huge break. I'm, I was just wondering... Like, that's the thing. Tanahashi, just like Steamboat. I mean, besides the match that I had with Jericho, that's another person that Tanahashi's very influenced by, or Fujinami, uh, one of his biggest influences in teaching. No, wait. Six plus four is ten. He re- wait, hold on. He was born in 1965. He retired in 2010. 45. He was 45 when he retired. Okay, okay yeah, minus, minus 10. Yeah, my bad. So he was 45. No, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't do it in my own head. I knew that you're probably better at math than I am. So uh, it turns I'm out saying, I am not. <laughs> well, I thought with the programming concept, I don't know, numbers and shit. Anyways, uh, Tanahashi, I'm not saying that you should, like, give it up, but he's putting a lot of fucking miles on his body way later in his career than needed. and. I just hope he knows that us as fans don't need him to keep on going. He just, he's, you know, and certain wrestlers just don't know how to stop. That That's definitely how it is. But we're going to talk about Sting even more so later on. What if we're all wrong and Tanahashi is the, just that good at selling? And then the G1 starts and he wins the G1. And he's, like, just, he pops he's just fine. Place <laughs> after walking weirdly and he's like, no, no, no. Like, <laughs> not gonna happen, bitch. I mean, I can't, I, I can't expect anything less from him because we've talked about him being hurt headed into the G1 for like the past what three or four years, and then he goes into the G1, and I'm sure he is not fine, but he turns that thing up to eleven. He was not turning that thing up to eleven with MJF. He's like, we'll just have a normal ass match here in America, <laughs> and. MJF did a really good job of getting a good match out of Tanahashi, and he got a win, so that's cool. 
Um, got a heel win, too. So Tanahashi didn't really lose anything out of it. Not that it matters uh, no. right now. Because, like I said, they're headed into the G1. So it doesn't. It's not really going to matter. Because, like, Tanahashi is probably going to lose to, like, Yano after getting, like, three wins or something. Because uh, <laughs> G1 is crazy like that. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just. It, you could tell Tanahashi was either banged up because he, he has been working here, um, but doing what is the New Japan New Japan Strong, right? So he's been here for a few months. So like maybe he is just really that beat up, but it's also Tanahashi. I just expect him to bounce back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, the first the first big match he gets to get like the first match he has against Naito or Okada or. Uh, Sonata or something. He's just going to go absolutely bad shit. Yep. Uh, I agree with you, but yeah, good match. I, I still like the match. I, I know the limitations and shit like that, so it didn't bother me. Um, thought it was a really good match to start off with. The next match is actually one of my favorite matches, Chris, on the card, just because of the, I don't know, the reaction and a lot of the things that we talked about previously, but Men's Owen Hart Cup uh, tournament first round match. You got CM Punk, who's good friends with Bret Hart, very much influenced by him, against Kojima, who was actually taught by the dungeon and mainly was kind of a protege to Owen Hart, which was said in the commentary. Good job of, I think, Kevin Kelly for bringing that up of what kind of ties them both to this tournament. CM Punk, like we said, r- Booed kind of the John Cena, but definitely more in the negative, I would say, you know, overwhelmingly. And Kojima, because of that, who is definitely a legend, but unfortunately he's a part of New Japan before, you know, and after, between the the, the three musketeers. Uh, The first ones obviously being Muda, um, Chono, and uh, Hashimoto, and then obviously Shinsuke, uh, Shibata, and Tanahashi uh, with the 2000s one, you know, along with Tenzin, who they were a tag team and brought up. Uh, they were kind of that two big stars during that transition. So Kojima is a great baby face. I've seen him live for his age. He's still able to do some great stuff. And they had an awesome match. Kojima going into us, like I said, he, he was going to murder CM Punk. And CM Punk really just took the heel route kind of fully embraced it, I feel like. And uh, at one part, you know, he started doing not only Kojima's moves to him and against him, but also uh, Tenzin's move to him, uh, his tag partner. So just, you know, kind of good in-ring psychology, but just the amount of uh, physicality and, you know, it led up finally to CM Punk hitting the GTS to get the win. Um, and then even though he's a heel, he shows respect to Kojima and kind of like, you know, shakes his hand while he's on the ground and selling. And I thought it was a, a good match. And it's going to be a very interesting uh, road to see what happens on Collision, City to City, to see what reaction CM Punk gets, Chris. Yeah, it definitely is. And the uh, Collision leading up to this did very poorly, by the way, ratings wise, which we you know, we normally just don't care about, but uh, it did like what five hundred and twelve thousand or something. 
yeah into the pay-per-view which is not not great mr what one bill phil or whatever or one mill phil uh yep yeah so uh i thought the match was pretty good um there was a like i said it was just kind of weird because you could tell that CM Punk, both both of them had to get adjusted to wrestling with each other, and also CM Punk's wrestled what three matches since coming back from injury. So there was some uh, kind of like slow stuff here and there, and and mostly it was just CM Punk working heel. So he did a great '80s ass heel job of covering up some stuff that normally wouldn't be there. Like he stepped around the ring with. With Kojima on his shoulders for that first GTS, like the reversal GTS for what seemed like forever, for instance. Uh, but it led to a reversal, so you got the big baby face like comeback pop. So, I mean, it, it, he definitely was just filling the crowd out. So um, it was a good match. It's fine. I still don't like seeing Punk though. For people out there that listen to the show. Uh, <laughs> This match, this match was fine. All right, next match we have for the AEW International Championship, a four-way match between Orange Cassidy, Zack Sabre Jr., uh, Shibata, and Daniel Garcia. Uh, this was a fun match. There was a couple spots, especially since I'm watching Shibata be a part of it, where like they're trading off Orange Cassidy's leg, where I was like, all right, but... You know, other than that, they beat the living hell out of each other. And I really just love the ending where Orange Cassidy just chucks uh, fucking Shibata out of the ring and gets a pinfall uh, to win this match. Um, I really loved Zack Sabre Jr. in this match. I love his shit talk. I love his technical work. Uh, him and Daniel Garcia did some stuff where I was like, I kind of want to see the two of them, you know, do a more technical, just personal match with each other. But, uh, yeah, fun match, and Orange Cassidy with the win, and he is still champion and has a record for men's. I think he's the number one, uh, but with it, obviously, Jay Cargill's, uh, he's now second to her for, he's got a lot to go, obviously, but second for longest reign. And, you know, um, I know some people don't like that he's, starting every show uh and maybe just like his placement is the thing that throws people off with that but uh, dude orange cassidy's over as fuck and he even if quote unquote he has the same match uh he the audience loves him man and i i witnessed it live i was definitely a part of the audience when i got to see him but uh i just i thought this was just very orange cassidy to chuck the person out, even though we kind of, we see it a lot in WWE. Uh, it kind of worked better, I think, in this situation. And uh, what did you think about this match? I thought the match itself was okay. Um, I, I actually like to finish up with you. Because that seems like some shit that Orange Cassidy would do. Like, why would he make it harder than it should be? That's not his character, right? His character is like when he snaps, he goes absolutely crazy. Um, he didn't have to snap here. This is what his like 36th or 37th title defense. So not wins, but actual wins and title defenses. He has more wins and title defenses of this title than, uh, you know, uh, Roman Reigns, who's held the belt for like four years at this point, three years, right? Yeah. 
so it's great because it, it does set up something with him and uh, Zack Sabre Jr. So maybe Zack Sabre Jr. is going to do some AEW stuff, take the title off of him. And I think that's a, also a good way to get out of the uh, Kenny Omega having the New Japan uh, American title. Because, like, if you swap them, right, like if they have the All-Atlantic title, the, the AEW All-Atlantic title on one and Kenny, you know, wins the uh, the rubber match and gets the title back, that's kind of a perfect way to go out, right? And Zack Sabre Jr. versus, you know, Orange Cassidy, who doesn't want to see that? A serious Orange Cassidy because, you know, he can turn it up when he wants to. I just love that Orange Cassidy <laughs> has someone who is like, I swear to God, he can be really good in the ring <laughs> from the beginning of the, like when he first showed up on AEW. I'm glad that he has proved me right. But I also hate him for changing his music. He should have just stuck with the Pixies. That was better. like that more. Oh, the Pixies. Great band, too. All right, uh, next match for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, 10 minutes and 45 seconds. We had Sonata with uh, Doki in his corner going against Jungle Boy, Jack Perry, with Hook in his corner. Because of Jungle Hook, you know, they're a lovely tag team. That evil Jack Perry. <sighs> Anyways. So one of the things I found interesting with this and kind of annoying, at least for me, until I talked and got some senses put into me by Chris, um, was Taz was over the top bringing up over and over again from an interview, you know, one of the press interviews that New Japan does. They did with Sonata and he just kind of was like, that's who you're going to fucking have me go against. And I don't even. If there was any like type of realism in it, I kind of don't fucking blame him. No offense to Jungle Boy, but I mean, you're talking about the champion, and I don't know. It just seems there might have been a point for that. But Taz on commentary kept on bringing it up and kind of pushing it towards Kevin Kelly, who was kind of deflecting it and being like, you know, I'm I'm Jake and Paul, like I have nothing to do with y'all, like sort of situation. I know I fucked up that. Uh, Pulp Fiction reference, but that doesn't matter. Um, and Taz was really persistent with him kind of talking about how Jungle Boy was a joke throughout this, but then you brought up the intelligence that this would be a good thing for him to be putting over that much with Jungle Boy when Jungle Boy turned on Hook inevitably. Uh, but either way, good match. Still fucking hate the Paradise Lock. I think it's so dumb. Um, and I think even Taz was not having the best time commentating over that without sounding a little bit sarcastic. Don't blame him. Uh, but I love Sonata. He won with the uh, Moonsault, I believe. No, maybe he won with the Skull End. I don't remember exactly. Got to be honest with you. But good match. Jungle Boy is knocked out. Hook helps him up. And then he turns on Hook. And uh, we talked about, you know, the after effect from that. But uh Good stuff. Uh, Chris, I'm, I'm just telling you, I, I think that they, they need to do Darby Allen and Sonata. They are the fucking protégés of Sting and the Great Muda. I mean, it kind of wipes itself out. Yeah, they definitely need to do that, but they need to figure out a way to get Darby Allen, you know, some wins before Wembley or Wrestle Kingdom or wherever they would do that. Right. 
But but Jungle Boy had like thousand losses before this shit. Yeah, but they just really love Jungle Boy's hair. I think that's the. <laughs> they love that damn song. Tony loves that stupid fucking song. <laughs> well, it's done now. The Jungle yeah. Boy jerk. I hope he comes out to like fucking bright eyes. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> like if the if he came out to like dashboard <laughs> after the heel turn or something. I don't know. It's his Can heel turn would it sleep <laughs> I know why you know that song because it was on that Spider Man soundtrack. Uh, all joking aside, what what I was getting at is, uh, yeah, so Taz's commentary was weird, but it seemed like it was kind of fed to him to build into whatever this feud with him and Hook is going to be. They've only been a tag team for like maybe two months. Yeah, because my biggest thing, Chris, is if there was any shot of realism in that, your fucking champion came in with one of their biggest legends with the fucking shirt that's or a fucking robe that said New Japan Wrestling is an indie fed. Um, so if there, like I said, if 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 you, I'm sure you're right about it, but if there was any type of realism in Taz in that moment or whoever was feeding him, like chill the fuck out. That's all I gotta say. But you know. Yeah, I think it's setting up a, a hook push, which is good. But if the hook push is just uh, the promos we got from Jungle Boy on Wednesday, then good luck, Hook. Continue <laughs> to not say anything and suplex your way out of the situation. Chris Benoit yourself out of this situation. You know, like before the murder. Yeah, obviously wouldn't want to do that. Um, but yeah. I get what you're saying completely. But a uh, good match. Um, I really like Sonata right now. I, I'm not so sure about his five-man group or whatever the fuck they're doing with that, but I love that he looks like classic Keiji Muto. Like, he's all black. He's got the black fucking hair. Uh, it's it's a different look after seeing him with that big fucking dyed blonde hair that he would always have and shit. Um He's looking really good in the ring, man. So I'm very happy he's a champion. Uh, still don't. Five Guys is a burger place, you know? I mean, he would... He, has he got Shoto Umino? Maybe winning G1? Coming for coming for that belt? I mean, Umino was uh, you know, positioned as one of the... Uh, what are they called? Three Musketeers, Chris. I told you that earlier. Yeah, that's who he wrestled at that last uh, Dominion, right? I believe so. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, so um, that's going to be fun. That's going to be fun to see how that plays out, especially because the G1's coming up, um, which is – I wish AEW did a G1. Also, I wish WWE did a G1 because the G1 is so much fun. I mean, it's hard to track because it happens, So, but – you. On TV, you could break it up where it would make a little more sense uh, if yeah, you didn't have like monthly pay-per-views. <laughs> give your wrestlers a little time to breathe. I'm sure that if you did the G1 using like episode to episode, 
you know, but they it's crazy they do that like every fucking day for like a month. Almost. Yeah. It's it's insane. The the craziest part is like they're trying to do that with the Owen Hart tournament, but it's just not the same feel. Like having the A group and the B group and there's like you know, uh what, eight to ten people in each group and wins and losses will drop you bracket wise and stuff, like and and there's points. It's like you guys have so many good wrestlers in AEW. Like, why are you guys not doing your own G1? Call it the USA number one or something <laughs> tournament and get like a big Toby Keith trophy. <laughs> you can. <laughs> <I'm> saying, uh, <laughs> or Hacksaw Jim Duggan trophy. You win it, you get the Hacksaw. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. Like, there's no reason why they can't do it the same way, but instead they just, like, like the, the turn, there was a tournament match on the show. And I forgot it was a tournament match. Well, hey, um, you know, kind of going to the G1 tournament, all three guys are positioned. We kind of just like mentioned, we have New Japan announcing the Rawa, or or maybe it's Oriwa, uh, Three Musketeers, which is a moniker that has happened now twice in the past with New Japan. In the 90s, we had, obviously, Keiji Muto, Shinya, Hashimoto and uh, Chono uh, as the three guys that they said will do. Basically, it's like, hey, we like all three of you. You guys are forced to now fucking do something big because if you don't, we're going to look stupid. And they've been good because in the next round, we had Tanahashi, Shibata, and Nakamura. And now for this one, uh, and I don't know, I'll even admit with Riwa means exactly why they're called the Rewa Three Musketeers. But Shota Umino, uh Ren Narita, and Yota uh Tuji, um and I probably mispronounced his last name, I apologize, but we've seen a lot of these guys. Just someone mentioned and when the the the, the Twitter that that Twitter thing uh you know showed this, they were like they kind of positioned the fact that I mean, Renarita, or not, not, Renarita's awesome, but he's very much like his uh, predecessor, Shibata, who taught him um, and, you know, obviously came from his influence. And then you have Shota Umino that everyone has compared to Tanahashi look-wise and being possibly the new ace of the company uh, post-Okada. And then obviously because of his weirdness, you know, Yuta Suji, uh, has a striking resemblance, even wearing the red and black, to uh, Nakamura. I mean, I think all these guys are great. I, I, I know that Yuramura is probably out there, like, crying in a corner for not being considered that, because he's awesome as well. Uh, but what do you think about these guys being the new apparent Three Musketeers and also being very similar to the last Three Musketeers? I think it's very cool. Um, and one, because it's not being rushed. So like the pillars idea in AEW is not bad because it was, these are the pillars they started here. It was that it was rushed and they didn't like flesh out who's babyface and heel in the situation. 
really. Like if you look at Sammy Guevara, now he's just right back with Jericho. So he was evil all along. So why would he have not done more to, you know, cheated more <laughs> to win the match? Um, this is more of like, hey, these are our guys. So it lets you set up like a whole storyline of like, this is our good guy. These are like, you know, this guy's kind of good. Because New Japan's going to split them into various groups anyways and then throw them through the G1. Uh, I think it's interesting. And the best thing about it is like, they're not just going to randomly switch the title or have a random title match for no reason. Which is also good. Once again, Tony, you should have let Gato book Forbidden Door. Um, but yeah, like I, I don't know. I think it's a cool comparison. I feel like they skipped ten years of wrestling. Yeah, well, I, I would say that. I mean, I guess so. Okada, Okada Styles and yeah, and no, Omega. no, no. Well, this is non-gaijing, but I, I, if if you're to like be honest with you, I mean. Or to be honest with this concept, I guess we're just saying since Kota Ibushi didn't originally come from New Japan, he wasn't a part of the dojo system. So I guess there's that. But to me, all right, so we're just saying Naito and Okada are by themselves. And it's not because, like, you could either go Ibushi or fucking Sonata uh, for that third person. I guess that. I mean, maybe they're, they're right. I, I guess there's not like a third person from that era that Naito and fucking Okada were the biggest guys, period, uh, for that time, I, I guess. I mean, Ta- Tanahashi. Well, Tanahashi comes from the previous Three Musketeers along with uh, Nakamura and uh, uh, Shibata. He can't, so. he, can't, he can't carry the belt over with him? Insert well, no. Paul Heyman <laughs> reference. <laughs> Well, it's like you don't, you don't, you don't think of John Cena, even though he was definitely a part of uh, the reality era or whatever the fuck the the next era. Uh, he was there for parts of them, but he's known for the PG era, I guess. I don't know. But I don't think it's I don't think of John Cena that way, but I think a Hulk Hogan that way. Well, either way, I mean, any way you want to look at. Uh, Basically, with the three musketeer concept, I don't think it works out too well because Okada and Nato, Naito, I should say, were kind of the two new stars that came out. There wasn't really a third um, to represent that. But I mean, yeah, the, th- I mean, the third the in New Japan would be AJ Styles, but he doesn't count. <laughs> no, well, yeah, because he's not he's gaijing, but you know, that's it. That's the weird thing with like New Japan. But like, I mean, the biggest thing with this that we should you know, more realized. This is New Japan putting those guys under immense pressure, just like the last two times they've done this. They think they're going to be the stars. Hope they are right. Uh, and they're all going to be in this uh, G1 tournament. So we'll see what they do, especially this newer gentleman that with the giant Cheshire Cat smile that creeps me the fuck out in uh, Yoda Tsuji. Uh, but it'll be good to see them. And also, I forgot what that wrestler's name is. The one that's from from uh, Pro Wrestling Noah that everyone compares to Okada. And then they did the crossover and Okada, like, destroyed him in a fucking match to humble his ass. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this G1 tournament. I'm looking forward to it, for sure. 
Yeah, it's going to be fun. And, and, you know, out of all the companies to push new talent, New Japan is the only one to actually do it. I guess AEW's trying with Jungle Boy and Darby, but I feel like they've been pushing them for three years. It's like a shit or get off the pot moment. Oh, yeah. All right, let's continue down the list because we were actually originally before we do our nice little side tangents. Uh... After that match with Jungle Jack Perry losing to Sonata, we had the Elite. So, Hangman Adam Page, Matt Jackson, and Nick Jackson with Eddie Kingston and Tomohiro Ishii in their corner going against the Blackpool Combat Club. Pretty much, it was kind of cool to see, like, all the members because it was John Moxley, it was Will Uta, it was Claudio Castanoli, it was... Uh, Kanoshke Takeshka and Shota Umino in this match. This is a lot of fucking fun. I mean, you're not going to see, I, I, I don't know why I have to prefix this, but like, you're not going to see like a lot of technical magic, but just like the amount of like punishment and big thing after big thing made this a lot of fucking fun to watch. Finally, uh, at the end of it, the elite ended up winning and, uh, yeah. They defeated the Blackpool Combat Club. Uh, and, and obviously, Chris, uh, they're going to be doing Blood and Guts next. So that's going to be hopefully the ending of this fucking feud. But, I mean, if you're going to do war games, I guess these are your two feuding guys. Uh, have they done this fucking thing too long? Yes. You're over it, too. Well, I'm just over, like, you have three top single superstars. Like, Claudio is the Ring of Honor champion, or was the Ring of Honor champion. He's his own superstar. And then you have Brian Danielson and Moxley, who have both feuded for the title in recent memory. Why the hell are they in a group? You know, it makes, like, with the Four Horsemen, for instance, it makes sense. Like, they all know, like, Ric Flair is the greatest. But, like, if we hang on to his robe, we can be tag team champions and U.S. champions. Like, it would make sense if Jungle Boy joined up with MJF and he's like, I could win the, the, the TBS or TNT title by being underneath his wing or whatever. With this group, it doesn't make sense because they don't necessarily like each other. <laughs> and William Regal's not there anymore. So, yeah, I'm just kind of just kind of over it. Um, and they just do this constantly. Yeah, I, I think I have to agree with you. I do like that Moxley didn't get color this match. <laughs> so. No, he made up for it enough on fucking time. <laughs> right. Yo, shout out, shout out to Renee Paquette <laughs> for being the absolute best <laughs> as just a backstage commentator. She was incredible. Her yelling at Moxley and Eddie Kingston, being like, y'all need to fix whatever the fuck this is, was great. Yeah, completely. Yeah, bitch, no matter. Awesome. <laughs> and they both got scared, and Eddie was like, we'll try to figure it out, and just left. And that's Eddie Kingston. I'm sorry, Renee! <laughs> It was it was great. That was phenomenal on all three parties. I uh, just want to put that out there. But it's a fun match. I mean, like if you like 
there was a lot of shit. <laughs> you know, it's a Bucks match, so there's gonna be a lot of stuff. If the Bucks really want to impress me, have a tag match against Motor City Machine Guns or FTR. Until then, I'm done talking about Bucks matches with other people. I will say that I read online that the name they were going to go with with Hangman Page and the Bucks was the Hung Bucks, and I wish that they called them the Hung Bucks because that's hilarious. Dude, that would be awesome. One thing I do have to put over with the match I almost forgot about is, you know, I'm sure that since they're both Japanese, they can communicate, but uh, it was kind of cool seeing Kanoshke uh, Takeshka and Shota Umino doing some uh, tag team moves with each other since, you know, it was laid out by, I believe, Excalibur to Kevin Kelly. They've never fucking worked together. So they obviously, uh, you know, all worked together to come up with this. But uh, two of my favorite uh, up and coming Japanese wrestlers, you know, doing some tag team moves was a little out of nowhere. So just wanted to put that over. I do want to point out that uh, one thing that came from the Jim Cornette review of this and Brian last review of this is John Moxley taking a bump and immediately rolling out of the ring. <laughs> Instead of actually taking a bump, he lands on his shoulder and rolls out. I'm never going to be able to unsee that now. Thank you. Thank you. You fucks. Uh, hopefully his back is well. Not hopefully his back's hurt, but I'm I'm assuming that his back is hurt, and that's why he's taking the bump. Because I don't remember him doing that in CZW or early AEW or even in WWE. But uh, once they pointed it out and I rewatched this match, I was like, holy shit, he does do that a whole hell of a lot. Like he'll take a bump on his shoulder and then roll out and then stand up, and then kind of like Did no he sell it. His fucking ridiculously crazy hard hitting match with Ishii which was awesome, by the way, on Dynamite. Do you do it there? <laughs> yeah, kind of. But Ishii is not really, like, drop. You know, he's not doing any kind of, like, suplexes or anything where he would have to take a flat back. So I just wonder if, like, Moxley's tweaked or something, and that's why he's doing it. Um, but, yeah, now that this pointed out, I'm never going to be able to unsee it. It's kind of like when people point out that Ultimate Warrior is a shitty person and then your child self can't ever unsee it. (laughs) Well, I mean, specifically with Moxley for the longest time, and I would even get annoyed if like, you know, Jim and Brian were talking about it. um, His punches, they, they really did point out, and I've heard other people complain about it. They don't look the greatest. His fucking, now his... As much as people complain, including me, and you've heard me say this, like, you know, with people doing forearms all the goddamn time, Moxley's forearms not only look great, I'm pretty sure he's nailing the fuck out of people. But his punches kind of look like Stone Cold Steve Austin's kick in the corner. (laughs) Speaking of which, earlier this morning I watched uh, Stone Cold, like a short clip from Stone Cold doing like an interview with Chris, was it Chris Vallee? Not to pronounce his name. He does a bunch of interviews on Lovely. YouTube or whatever. <laughs> and uh, he was talking about his match with Kevin Owens. And he's like, well, I hadn't, you know, actually thrown a working punch in 19 years. So I just started punching the shit out of him. And I kept waiting for the receipt. <laughs> and we got back to the back and I said, why didn't you hit me back? <laughs> but I knew he was there to take care of me. And I was like, God damn it, Kevin Owens, you're the best. <laughs> 
So basically, if you if you watch that match, <laughs> Stone Cold just potatoed that man for <laughs> eight minutes and then hit him with a four wheeler. He took one back body drop. That was it. <laughs> That's the kind of wrestling match I want to have with you, Dane. You can just <laughs> I'll punch like- you like a hundred times <laughs> and then hit you with a four wheeler and I'll take one back body drop. That's it. <laughs> Well, that's not fair. I don't know if I like that at all. Oh, well, I, I appreciate you for being uh, honest about it. You know, either way. <laughs> yeah, but it definitely looked like that. <laughs> Moxley just Moxley just lays his shit in. And he's like, oh, well, if you hate it, hit me back, I guess. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I wanted him to do it against Jeff Jarrett, and Jeff Jarrett just actually like unleash one, <laughs> just, just to just to see what happens. Like it's gonna happen eventually, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's gonna he's gonna piss someone off that's old, like Samoa Joe. Like he's gonna hit Samoa Joe with a potato, and Joe's just gonna fucking really lay into him one day. Yeah, no, that's. That's craziness. I wish Samoa Joe was on this fucking card. Let me just say that. But since he was the guy that fought amazing Japanese superstars back in the 2000s, getting Kenta Kobashi and I believe Kawada to come out of retirement to fight him um, when they were obviously helping Misawa bring up uh, Pro Wrestling Noah. So, but either way, uh, next match. 10 minutes, 30 seconds. I don't have a lot of remembrance about this match, but I love Willow Nightingale. I think this might, maybe should have been for both titles. I don't know. But uh, Tony Storm and Willow Nightingale had a good match. Uh, Obviously, there was, you know, interference with Ruby Soho and Soraya that caused some of the advantage, I would say. But uh, Tony inevitably won, and uh, this was, like Chris was saying, I mean, kind of something to put in front of a huge match, just like, I mean, the six-man tag team match, as crazy as it got, was like that before the main event. So, what do you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean, it sucks for both Tony Storm and Willow Nightingale, because I thought they had a pretty good match. Um, I hate Tony Storm's faction. So if they got rid of them and Tony Storm was just a straight fucking asshole heel like Samoa Joe, I, would, I think I would be more into it because I don't necessarily hate Tony Storm in the ring. But like the caveat of everything around her makes me not like this. I do like Willow Nightingale a lot, and I'm glad they didn't do title versus title because then like Tony Storm and this group would have two titles and we have to watch Soraya wear a fucking title without actually doing anything, which I don't want to see. So at least uh, I, I'm hoping that they're, they're, you know, they're saving her for when uh, Mercedes Monet comes back, maybe at Wembley or at least at Russell Kingdom, somewhere in between, right, uh, to win the title back. Because she, she actually wasn't supposed to, drop it she just called the audible in the ring because she broke her fucking ankle so yeah that shit is nuts uh, but yeah uh, good match let's talk about the next match I mean arguably the match of the night I, I think that that would be at least what I th- 
what I uh, would consider. But this is but this had a lot of pressure towards it. I think the first match to me was better. I think they did some really cool stuff in this match that was different than the first match. But inevitably, the non-logic of Don Callis being there, getting kicked out and coming, and then attributing with a fucking screwdriver towards the ending, I don't know, just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I think they could have figured out a way for Will to win in some type of dastardly form better than that. Didn't make sense why Don Callis came back and didn't get ejected immediately, even though the ref was bitching at him. Uh, but, I mean, these guys beat the living fuck out of each other. Um, yeah, that tag, Tiger Driver, whatever the fuck, year, 2062, I don't remember. Um, ow. But they did a lot of that before then, and that was like the the explanation exclamation point on all of it. Um, God damn. I mean, this match was fucking awesome though. It was intense. It was fast paced. It, you know, there was a lot of psychology just, and honestly, uh, when I can agree with someone like a Jim Cornette, it's that beforehand there might've been some potato punches, you know, in the 80s and, and, and whatnot and before that. But they weren't actually, you know, killing each other. And I saw some fucking shit from both guys in this match that's like, why take off five years off your career? But I've been saying that about Will. Uh, Kenny has obviously, you know, in the, if he's not doing these New Japan matches with Will Ospreay, has definitely toned it down. But I'm just glad that neither one of them got too banged up from this, Chris, because it looked pretty fucking aggressive. Yeah, and I mean, Kenny does that same shit that Kota Ibushi does, where they just like to get dropped on their fucking neck for whatever reason to sell a spot. And I, you know, when you're talking about the Jim Cornette review, I think he's right. Like, you can do that, but like, make it an angle, right? This guy dropped you so hard on your neck that you have a neck injury and then sell that for a while leading up to your next match. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, but they did it at the end of the match. Uh, this match was not as good as the Wrestle Kingdom match. And I agree with you 100%. It's because Don Callis was out there and there was just extracurricular bullshit. And I think it went a little too long, honestly. I, I think they could have probably got all of the story they were trying to tell in in like 20 minutes as opposed to 45, which is the length this match went. Nothing against any, like nothing against either guy. Because this, this is definitely in my top uh, five matches of the year so far. Uh, it's still Rhea Ripley and Charlotte, number one. So knock it off, Kenny. Uh, I was expecting, I was really expecting Brian Danielson and Okada to knock it off, but you know, the injury kind of turned, turned the favor. Walter, Walter will show up and beat the shit out of somebody. And then that'll be my, probably my number one. I'm waiting for him to have, I mean, he's had a great match. One of them was this last week with fucking Sami Zayn and the one with Kevin Owens, but. Yeah, Walter's about to have a really good match. The pay-per-view is actually starting right now at 2 o'clock. I have it. 
in London. We have Money in the Bank. They're on their kickoff. God damn it. Fucking kickoff shows. I don't even care about this. <laughs> All right. Well, either way, so, uh, he's going against Matt Riddle on this, but we'll 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 go over that uh, when we're done with this card. So uh, I did listen to Dave Meltzer's like talking about the Hall of Fame and the uh, yearly inductions to the Wrestling Observer, and there is Wrestler of the Year, and um, he brought up the fact that Sami Zayn is probably the wrestler of the year storyline wise and ratings wise, and I can't really argue with that. No, I mean in his company, I put Sami. Just slightly second because, you know, the fact that he's in the tag division compared to like singles against Roman, how much I would put Cody first, him second, probably Jay Uso third, probably Seth Rollins, and then maybe L.A. Knight for the people that get the most biggest babyface reaction of the company. But and then probably Kevin Owens would be right after that. But I mean, dude, Sammy gets. A bigger reaction. I love Kevin Owens, but I mean, he is that fucking guy, man. He had a great year last year. Yeah, that's because no fan can trust Sammy anytime or Kevin anytime he's near Sammy. Oh, <laughs> we're, just... all we're all waiting for that. <laughs> he okay. is basically he's basically Bodie from fucking <laughs> Point Break. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We're not gonna land on land, you son of a bitch, or whatever. <laughs> they, we know the hill turns coming, Kevin. <laughs> oh, I forgot to say, Will Osprey in were thirty-nine minutes and forty-five seconds. I agree with you; it was a bit long, but um, God, man, the fact what they're willing to do with their bodies, just like even smashing each other over the head with whatever the fuck over by the goddamn announce table that the, the plastic heading towards it. Like, I mean, these guys beat the shit out of each other. I'm to, like think of like a certain spot, but I think the whole thing made me feel pain, Chris personally. So. I, I mean, that's great and all, but it's like two of the biggest stars that both companies have. Maybe they could have just went like 20 minutes and had an AJ Styles match and not murdered each other. You know what I mean? Yep. Rick, Rick Flair steamboat match. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I definitely agree with you for that. All right, well, let, let's cover the next match. We had a six-man tag. Uh, you dropped you dropped really far away for some reason. Just a heads up. Oh, uh, can you hear me now? Uh, Tin Canny. Not do anything. That sucks. Hey, how am I sounding now? Same. Fuck. I did not do anything. All right, let's um, I'll stop the recording and then we'll restart it and see if you sound better. All right. All right, let's go into this last match. Or not last match, but the next match to the last match that really, I mean, it was supposed to be like a buffer, but it was definitely crazy enough, Chris, but we had a match with sting Darby Allen, the Naito going against Suzuki gods, uh, 
Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Minoru Suzuki. And uh, this is a fun fucking match, honestly. Um, it was cool seeing Sting in the ring with Suzuki, obviously, and they kind of were the ones that would, if there was like melee between both teams, attacking each other. Uh, Darby Allen obviously has been working with Sammy Guevara and then just Naito and Chris Jericho because they're past uh, crossing. I love how the beginning did <laughs> us with taking off his suit because he's like, oh, shit, they're, like, they're ready to fucking go. And he, you know, he still like transitioned it a little bit to like, you got to wait for fucking me. But it was just funny because it's like he dinged the bell and that was like, oh, fuck, like I got to take the shit off like. But uh, having a part of it was great. Let's get him in a singles match next year, please. Um, but either way, I mean, Sting, Darby, and Naito won. And uh, that would lead to the crazy-ass match we already talked about. With Sting going through the fucking table, needing stitches on his lip, and knocking out one of his teeth. Yeah, and then he gets back in the ring and puts on a stinger deathlock at some point, right? Like, he does yeah. other shit yeah. after that. They had it, like, it was cool for the concept that the, the Painmaker has, like, he was trying to go for, like, Alex Large meets the Crow, but, like, with his makeup and Sting's makeup and someone mocked up for AEW, them looking like Sith versus Jedi, um, but... Yeah, what the fuck? I mean, this match had a lot of what the fucks with Sting. We already talked about it. And the follow-up match where it's him and Sammy, Painmaker and Sammy uh, Jericho, going against Darby and Sting and the fucking table spot. Like, God. Like, my biggest thing, Chris, I don't want to see Jericho and Sting now. If it's a Wembley, great match. I don't want that to be Sting's retirement match. I'm just going to be honest with you. Apparently he stayed around ringside and signed autographs and took photos with people and was talking about like how bad he got fucked up in that spot. Did you hear his, uh, they had it on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Like what are you saying? Someone like recorded it. No, what did he say? Well, he basically said, like, at one part, he's like, yep, I uh, definitely busted my lip. I definitely need stitches. And I knocked out one of my front teeth. So he was just very honest with the audience. And it's like, Sting, come on, man. Like, <laughs> this is your last? Like, I know it's like, well, fuck it. You know, just, but no, don't just, oh, fuck it. Like, I don't want you to get hurt doing some crazy bullshit. Like, what the fuck was he doing? Doing a f- jump from a ladder inside to the outside through some fucking tables. So a lot of things went wrong with that table spot that is not Sting's fault. One, they set the they set the tables way fucking far out there, like he's goddamn <laughs> like Kobe Bryant or something, or Shane McMahon is gonna leap across the goddamn arena. Uh, the second one is they had a gap in between two, right? And then the third is when he goes to jump, I don't know if it was supposed, like Sammy Guevara was supposed to get his knees up or if he just flinched at the last second, but like Sammy flinches 
And that's why Sting eats a knee in his face. That's what actually fucks Sting up. Not the table spot, but like he gets hit with, if you go back and watch it, like Sammy does like a weird little flinch with his body and uh, hits Sting directly in the fucking mouth. And that's that, you know. And then after that, it was all downhill. But whatever, Sting got the Stinger Deathlock on. And I was like, whoa! Uh, as one does, being from Georgia. <laughs> when he <went> table first, <laughs> and he comes out the other side, and they're like, what the fuck is Sting doing? Like, he's up already? And then he's like, ready? Like, that was pretty awesome. I mean, that, that, that makes me love Sting and realize why he's my number two to Shawn Michaels for favorite of all time. That's all I gotta say. Uh yeah, but, Sting uh, is Sting is great. So, all right, let, let's talk about the last match. Oh, well, actually, no. And uh, do you want to see him have like a one-on-one competition next year? I mean, I wanted that at Wembley. I wanted him versus MJF, and I thought there was ways to get there. Um, but they didn't do that. So I guess it's going to be him and Darby in like December. Oh, I'm, I'm down for that, but I, dude, I would way rather your concept. Um, honestly, I've been promoting that for since I think last year, um, for the last one. But should we? Uh, I mean, we kind of already talked about Brian Danielson, Kazushi Okada. It was a good match. It was at 27 minutes and 40 seconds. They went home. Uh, obviously, like we said, because of Brian Danielson's arm, uh, we don't know how much they were positioning, but the match was really good. I will say it's it's similar, not exactly the same, but I really wanted Seth and AJ to have a good match, and they did, and I think they did more than their first match, which was awesome, but. It was pretty much their greatest hits. I feel like we just scratched the surface with Okada and Brian Danielson. The Rainmaker versus the American Dragon. And it sucks that fucking Brian Danielson, uh, you know, cracked his arm. But we will see him back. And I hope that we can have a set of matches between these guys going forward. I want to see... Okada win the next one, obviously, and then we'll see who's the better man, maybe at Wrestle Kingdom or one of the bigger AEW, you know, pay-per-views in the future. But I know Okada must fucking hate the fact that that happened with the elbow drop, but, you know, I don't think it's his fault. We already talked about that. Brian Danielson's a badass and one hell of a competitor, so. Yeah, he just... uh and they brought this up on commentary. They were talking about like the space is different in the ring and, and top rope, like jumping off the top ropes is different in AEW versus Japan. I don't think that was this. Brian just didn't get his arms tucked in. Shit happens sometimes. Right? Like if you watch every macho man, Randy Savage elbow drop, the reason he does the point is to get the, like to let the other guy get set, you know? Uh, and, Brian Danielson just didn't get set, and unfortunately, fucking from what I saw, either Okada's like rib cage or um, 
because like on an elbow drop, you're taking most of the punishment as the guy delivering it because you're landing on your hip and side. But his hip and side landed directly on Brian Danielson's arm, which was unfortunate. And it sucks because I feel like they would have gave us another 10 minutes of that match. And the finish probably would have been a lot better. And it would have built up to whatever they're going to do at Wembley. But uh, they're going to do the match anyways. You know, uh, Okada doesn't tap out a lot. So tapped out of Brian Danielson with a broken freaking arm, which if you're Brian Danielson, totally, you should totally do that. Uh, Hell yeah. So, so it'll be a good fight, you know, but uh, just unfortunate because I, I know that the la- if they would have gotten the typical Okada last 10, like five, 10 minutes of that match, it probably would have surpassed the uh, Omega match just because the Omega match had all that bullshit with uh, Don Callis and, not that it wasn't a good match, but you know, it it had a lot of extracurricular activity. Dude, that match was so fast paced. I will say that this match, I don't know. I, I I actually prefer the pace that Okada and Brian Danielson had than Omega and um. I mean, we knew what we were getting. I do love the fact though. And I forgot about this. The fact that Osprey went out, was getting booed, and was like, all right, fuck it. Kenny's fucking Bret Hart, and I'm Shawn Michaels. And grab the fucking flag. Like, grab some shit that kids had in the front. And then, you know, grab the flag, came inside, and fucking started, like, you know, straddling it like a towel and wiping his ass with it. And then putting it up his nose, just like Shawn did. Doing the exact same thing, basically. And then Kenny nailed him right the fuck afterwards. It was uh, one of my favorite sequences to that. And uh, that was a great match. Both of those matches were awesome. Obviously, they had more to go with Brian Danielson and Okada, but shit happens. And hopefully we'll see uh, an amazing second match between the two. Soon. Yeah, I mean, Kenny and Will is going to have great matches regardless, but uh, the like I said, the one takeaway is just, like, there's a lot of interference, and I don't know that that helps Will or Kenny. I guess it advances Kenny's storyline a little bit with Don Callis, but at the same time, it makes, like, every one of his friends look like a bunch of fucking geeks. Like, no one came out to help Kenny at all. Like, hey, man, the elite, where the fuck are y'all at? Anyone yep. in the Bullet Club, <laughs> like no one, which is fine if Kenny comes out and cuts a promo. It's like, oh, I see how it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm the fucking lone wolf out here. I'm the Terminator. Or Like, if he did something like that, like, but they didn't do that. They're like, no, he's still part of the elite. They're all still friends. And I'm, yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Um did not think about that myself, but uh, yeah, probably could have used a little bit of help uh, from all this, the distractions uh, from Don Callis. But other than that, still both great matches. They both had a little bit, uh, you know, kind of uh, to take away, I guess we could, you know, just say directly. <laughs> but good pay-per-view, great wrestling matches. Um, can't wait to see another Brian Danielson Kazuchika Okada match. 
Um, and I know we're getting a third eventually with Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega, but good pay-per-view just in general. Um, I guess, should we move on to the match or the, the, the sorry, the pay-per-view that is technically starting in 39 minutes and 30 seconds? Money in the bank. Do some predictions, Chris, before we get out of here. Yeah, let's do them a second time. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> did we already, we already do them? I guess we did do them last week, but that's not yeah. A, we it's the lost episode. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, either way, now yeah, we'll just pretend we're doing them for the first time. Uh, this is absolutely in no order, but we'll just go by what Wikipedia has. Uh, first, for the Intercontinental Championship, Matt Riddle, Gunther. Gunther is not losing, but I will say they have a lot of uh, chemistry from working with each other in progress and evolve. So I think that Gunther and Matt Riddle will have a pretty damn good match, but Gunther will still continue to be the ring general and the intercontinental champion. Chris. Uh, I agree with you, Gunther, via fuckery. Maybe we get Randy Orton back. That would be great. Oh, that would be good. They're trying to figure out where to fucking put him. So that's definitely a possibility. All right. Uh, for the WWE uh, Women's Tag Team Championship, for all platforms now, because they won the NXT. So this represents everything. Ronda Rousey, Shayna Baszler against Liv Morgan, Raquel Rodriguez. Uh, I want Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey to beat the living shit out of them. I like Raquel. I'm fine with Liv, but uh, I, that doesn't make it like that much more like, yay, Liv Morgan's back. I don't know. I'm sorry, guys. I want, <laughs> I want the UFC chicks to just dominate them, honestly. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, Liv's not going to be able to hit a hot tag and really put in work. I mean, realistic work against Shayna or Ronda, so. I'm crazy Ricky Martin. <laughs> I'm Marty Jannetty. Ask me about bowling alleys. No. It's it weird. Do you guys have any crank? I'm Marty <laughs> Jannetty. Anyways, I'm sorry. That was weird. <clears throat> Uh, but uh, we we kind of we kind of alluded to this, you know, like uh, coming off that uh, God, why can I not think of her name? The UFC title win the other night. You think they're going to bring her into uh, WWE? Why can I not think of her name? Oh, uh, Amanda Nunez. Yeah, Amanda Nunez. They you throw her in there with someone else, and they get the tag belts to give her like kind of a starting run. Yeah, as long as they don't do the same thing they did with, uh, what's his name? Um, what was the Hispanic gentleman? He did great in AAA, and they took him to WWE and just chill with him. He beat fucking Brock Lesnar for real. Cain wow. Velasquez. Yeah, but Cain Velasquez also has, like, a bunch he, of, like... I know, that's, yeah, yeah I know. That's, that's one thing that sucks about it, but... Um, I, I will give WWE credit on that one. Maybe not the best guy to bring back. Probably. Probably not. After that one, give Brock the win and let him walk away. I don't feel like Amanda Nunes is that kind of cat. So she's probably fine. 
It would definitely uh, be interesting to get her involved with this. That's for sure. Um, but you could you could put her with Raquel. Like I, I'm done with the Liv, Liv Morgan experiment. She's just not that good in the ring. She hits like a couple of good spots, but it's really reliant on whoever she's hitting the spot on. So it's like if she's doing the you know like the Canadian Destroyer against Bailey, it's gonna look good. It's like no shit, Bailey's really good at wrestling. But like if you just watch her in there with Ronda and Shayna, it's terrible. And that's not anything against Shayna. There's just like a mismatch of like in ring ability and what she's able to do. Like especially if you go back and watch like you know any any kind of like Natalia match or Charlotte. Like you have to adjust to whoever you're working for. And uh, yeah, she doesn't do that. I, I am just not a big, as everyone who is past listeners, you know I'm not a big fan of Liv Morgan, and she definitely did not deserve it or earn it as far as the title goes. Oh, shot fired. I actually uh, agree with them if it wasn't uh, obvious before what I was saying. Anyways, let's uh, move on. Um, let's do the two Money in the Bank matches. All right, I should probably give this away. Um, just right now, because it will be kind of obvious, but I think there is a good chance, and unfortunately you guys did not hear the episode last week, but I think that there is a good chance that Judgment Day is going to sweep this whole entire thing. So that kind of shows my cards for a good chunk of matches going forward, but when we talk about the men's, Ricochet, Shinsuke Nakamura, L.A. Knight, Santos Escobar, Butch, Damian Priest, and Logan Paul. Really looking forward to this match. I think that fucking Damian Priest is going to win. I know everyone's thinking Logan Paul, L.A. Knight. I get why. Trust me. I, I Like I said, I'm going to pretty much stick with that concept that Judgment Day is going to sweep this whole entire thing. So Damian Priest is who I think. Chris, what do you think? Yeah. Um, it, Trish is in the first match, right? Trish Stratus and her protege. Well, no, we're doing the men's one. So. Oh, in the men's one? Um, I, I, was, I thought you said both at the same time. Uh, so, okay, for, for the men's uh, money in the bank, I think I originally predicted that Damian Priest was going to win, but you giving me like a week and a half to think. I'm going to go with L.A. Knight, man. There's promos he's cutting his fire. And he's looking pretty jacked, bro. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go on a limb and say L.A. Knight. This is, he's going to turn it around right here. Probably wrong. Kofi Kingston's not in here. If he was, that's who I would pick because I always pick Kofi Kingston. Um Butch is going to get thrown off some shit. Pete Dunn is the Kevin Owens of this match. That poor guy is going to go through everything. So hopefully Kevin goes over to him in the back and he's like, it gets better, buddy. And pats him on the back or something. Cause that guy is getting tossed all. When you think about all the big hosses in this match, poor Pete Dunn is getting, he's going to get murdered. So is Ricochet, but Ricochet is going to do some really cool stuff. Yeah, they're this. They're the seven. They're they're going to be the Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens of this match. They're going to be absolutely <laughs> demolished. Um, right. But I, I like I like your idea of like 
Undisputed Era just wins everything. I think that's really cool. I don't know that they're going to do that. Judgment Day, but yes. Or, yeah, or well, Blood, Bloodborne, Bad Blood, <laughs> great, great Balls of Fire. You have to go back to the fucking 90s pay-per-views that were random. Unforgiven, right? No, Darkness! <laughs> Darkness! All right, uh, next match. Well, uh, that we should talk about the women's uh, Money in the Bank. Zelina Vega, Becky Lynch, Zoe Stark, Bailey, Io Sky, Trish Stratus. To me, the only people that I would say have this the the, the best is Zelina Vega or Io Sky. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Zelina Vega between those two. Um, I was getting into this earlier, but I think Trish is going to win by pulling her own protege down because she's like, I'm the fucking, you know, I'm the boss here. I know I've been managing you, but like eat my nuts, kind of. But yeah, Zelina Vega and um, maybe EO Sky. That's your Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens of that match. They're going to take all the bumps. She's just looking for the bump counter. (laughs) Those two. They're getting murdered. They're gonna, they're gonna add more to their bump card. Um, I think all of these people in this ladder match is gonna add more to their bump card than before. Yeah. The the only <laughs> other thing I could see is if they do the same spot that I was talking about, but they switch in as Bailey and EO because they've been building up that storyline where EO's about to get it, and Bailey's like, "Nah, fam," and murders her. But I think it's gonna be one of those. It's gonna be like a little bit of a group splitting up. Trish's is more interesting because they are still trying to get to her and Becky, you know, singles match WrestleMania. And I don't know how many dates they have Trish for because she's got to go back and do that. Canada's got talent show, which should only be hosted by Rush um, or Wayne Gretzky. (laughs) No, all joking. All joking aside. <laughs> she has other shit she has to do. She's not gonna be at every fucking show, so <laughs> if she wins money in the bank, she can just walk away and come back at Mania. <laughs> Alright, well um <laughs> God damn it. Uh let's let's go to the next match. Um so we have the bloodline. Roman Reigns and Sola Sokoa. Paul Heyman going against the Usos. Jay and Jimmy Uso. This is the bloodline civil war tag team match. Um, with the new concept that Roman Reigns will not be the tribal chief for the Analoi family anymore if he loses. Uh, Now there's Roman Reigns and Silla are going to win. I don't know how the fuck that works out. That that stipulation that they put last night, uh, yeah, kind of fucks it all up. But I love that they put dissension between Roman and Solo because the fact that at least what the Usos were saying they're thinking about Solo being the next tribal chief after Roman. So 
good stuff to add to the storyline, but yeah, I, I think this is Roman Solo beating the Usos, but I've liked everything building up to this, like normal. So maybe I looked into this too deeply, but when the Usos were talking about Solo be the next guy, and Roman's like, none of you guys will be the next guy, do you think they're going to, like, it's going to be Roman and the Usos and they just beat the shit out of Solo. They're like, you're not the next guy. And then he has to do the, uh, like overcome the odds to be the tribal chief kind of thing. Cause like he could be a good bait, like a Batista type baby face. Think of the, think of the evolution storyline. Do you think we're going to get a swerve like that? You know, it's a, it's a very interesting prospect. I don't personally, but I I, uh, I, I like the idea of if, if something were to happen like that, I'd be down. Yeah, like they're they're fine with any of the other people being tribal chief except for Solo because he's the little brother, right? <laughs> and they're just like, nah, not you. Um, that would be interesting. I don't know if they're going to do that. Uh, Triple H is booking. So I just think, you know, they could do the evolution thing like they, like they did with Batista. Right. Um, where, oh, that guy, that guy's just a dummy. He doesn't understand what the hell we're talking about. And then Batista ends up winning the title and goes on his, his huge title run. I'm, I'm curious if Triple H would run that back. I don't think he needs to. This storyline is going to be gold regardless of who walks out. You know, whoever walks out holding the title, I'm assuming it's going to be Roman, but I would have no problem with, uh, you know, the Usos winning here. Right. And then just handing the belts to Roman and Solo's like, what the hell, (laughs) y'all? And then going on a big baby face run. That'd be fun. Yes, it would. It's interesting uh, for real. But uh, let's we got two more matches. We got a match with Cody Rhodes and Dominic Mysterio with Rhea Ripley in the corner. I think we both have predicted the same thing. Cody's losing. It's going to be because of Brock Lesnar, which will lead to SummerSlam and Dominic. One of the, and I can't wait to see the audience reaction to this match because Cody is arguably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, baby faces WWE has and definitely one of the biggest baby faces in the industry altogether. And <laughs> Tom is one of at least the reaction of the audience, the exact opposite, one of the biggest heels. So it's gonna be a fun match, but I really expect Brock Lesnar to fuck shit up. And that's why Dom wins. I'm still thinking like I and we'll go into the championship match next. It's gonna be all judgment day. So. so let's say Brock runs in, right? And he just picks Cody up and he hits F5. And it's Brock and he's super dumb. So he's just going to pick up the next person to hit F5. He picks up Dom and then Rhea just gives him a fucking German. She drop, he drops Dom and he just gets a fucking German suplex. How over <laughs> would that make Rhea? It's like. Dude, That'd she just awesome. Germaned Brock, right? Like <laughs> that would be amazing. They're not gonna do that. So I'm I'm gonna go with the original prediction I gave from the the disappeared episode of 
Cody not winning here. He's probably going to have to win at Rumble and then, you know, go and challenge or whatever. He'll beat Brock along the way, and uh, we'll have to suffer through this <sighs> Seth Rollins reign of just we're going to play his music for a long period of time. All right. Well, um, very interesting. It, it seems that we might have different opinions on the outcome, but let's continue with the last match. Seth Franklin Rollins, I mean freaking, versus Finn Balor for the World Heavyweight Championship. Um, I'm pretty sure Seth beat him. Uh, he won against the NXT champion, yeah, no, he did definitely. He definitely beat him. I, uh, Carmelo Hayes, and uh, I kind of was like, not only like you know because of like what happened between this and how we kind of talked about that promo that was back and forth where Finn Balor kind of got pushed out by the audience that wouldn't shut the fuck up, and Seth, you know. Obviously could have toned them down a little bit by saying or doing something, but, you know, it was awkward. But I, I feel like the last, like, three or four weeks, they built Finn Balor, especially attacking Seth Rollins, showing up in NXT to attack him again with his match with Braun Breaker, and all the continuance of that. They've... <laughs> They basically, and and they've done this before with another wrestler, put him more relevant than he has been in several years. We're 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 really going towards the concept of Seth Rollins and Finn Balor back when the Universal Championship was first put on the map. Seth went against Finn as the Demon, and even though Finn won, he lost. Because he got injured in the match, taking a buckle bomb to the outside uh, against the barricade. And now we have Finn attacking Seth and getting really personal about that whole entire time period. Thought it would have been cool if he became the NXT champion and then potentially the, the whatever the fuck this is, the world championship, the world title, the, the big gold belt, now their new iteration of it. But how they're making it so personal between the two, I think we're going to have a great match. And I think Finn Balor is actually going to take that title away from Seth Rollins. Uh, I think Seth's going to retain. I think they're going to build that up a little bit more. Um, I agree with you, though. There's no reason why uh, Finn can't snap. But... They're also, like, I don't know if you've been watching NXT, but they're slowly building Baron Corbin back up as the Lone Wolf. I don't know if you've seen this yeah, year. This last this. He, uh, he had a great match this last week, and uh, they were talking about the fact that, you know, Finn beat the living hell out of Camarillo Hayes, that that would be in the favor of Baron Corbin, and he still lost the NXT championship to Carmelo Hayes. But, you know, Baron's getting paid a lot of money. That's all I got to say. Yeah, I mean, good for Baron. Every time I see him on Twitter, he's just posting stakes. So, 
know, just eat that best steak life, homie. Um, yeah, I, this this one's interesting because I, I mean, I, I my gut feeling is they're just gonna stick with Seth because that fucking stupid chance over. But I I think that I lean more towards you. If it was me booking it, I'd probably give it to Finn. And then set up the feud with him versus Seth versus, uh, you know, goodness gracious, great balls of fire, where his group is. I, I think that's more interesting. Judgment Day? <laughs> Did you say goodness gracious, great balls of fire? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just naming paper bees, bud. You know, <laughs> I, I just want Finn Balor to, you know, get a win and then feud with In Your House. Oh, my God. Can we make In Your House? I mean, I guess that faction would be Diesel, Shawn Michaels, Owen Hart, and Bret Hart, and Razor. I, I feel like that's just our uh, faction when we show up to Culver, Georgia. <laughs> to prevent Georgia wrestling from being stomped out. By that evil fucking guy. Folks, dude. Ugh. Terrible. Freak, freak me out, man. I hope he doesn't jump on this phone call. <sighs> Anyways. I think that's a show. Yeah, that's all I got. Deontay Waller still white, uh, waiting to fight uh, Tyson Fury, you guys. Just heads up on that. Tyson Fury says he wants to fight anyone. If he wants to give me 10% of how much that fight is, I'll fight Tyson Fury. Well, um, I'll be your manager. I'm going to make money off the whole entire concept, but you're going to take the punches and uh, I'll help you somehow. So. Yeah, I mean, ten percent of like you know thirty million dollars is still pretty good. I feel like we both make out on that. Oh no, I'm gonna push you to the top and say you're gonna do this, and then I'm gonna bet against you and make a lot of money. So, but what if I like Rocky it? Then you'll be super mad. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. No, I'm yeah. kidding. Tyson. Can you imagine a conversation between him and Arnold? Like, it's just, you know, and they're good friends. So it's like, what do you have? Like, hey, Arnold, what are you doing? Yeah, you know, Sylvester you know, you're a wonderful person, but I'm not just, I'm not just chilling over here. What are you doing? You you want a good idea? No, no, I don't need no furniture. Like, is that what it's like? I feel like that's probably. It sounds exactly what it's like. (laughs) Uh, Did you you see that 50 Cent is in the new Expendables? (laughs) No, that's awesome. I don't know why. That is awesome. I hope Uh, that there is like a slow motion scene of him just smoking people to patiently waiting. I hope they use CGI to like make his teeth like come up. Uh, <laughs> hey, I love that. I love I love power. That was a good show. <laughs> Dude, I love Fifty Cent. He is a badass. <laughs> Every time he talks on the internet, I just laugh my ass off. But uh, yeah, he said he told Floyd Mayweather, "I bet you five hundred thousand dollars you can't read a fucking chapter of a Harry Potter book." 
Mayweather was like, yeah, but I could wipe my ass with money. <laughs> and Vincent uh, was like, so can I. <laughs> but you still can't read a chapter of a book. Oh, it's sad, but true. You know it's sad, but true. I think that's it. I think we're done. <laughs> All right. We're done with the show. You guys, I hope you guys enjoyed this show. And remember, like I said, join us every week. We record this on Saturdays, but we have it out usually by Monday. And uh, we'd love to have you guys back. You know, you guys are really great out there. So give us a five-star rating, just like Dave Meltzer. Uh, let us know how much you like us. We're on every downloadable platforms from Spotify to YouTube music to everything. Just just Google and find your platform. Google Wrestling Geeks Alliance and do whatever you got to do. Like us. Subscribe to us. Like I said, give us a five-star. And always getting a five-star rating with me, my co-host, Christopher Brotherway Patton. Say goodbye to all lovely people, Chris. Oh, bro, you're seven stars on my book. Uh, anyone out oh. there giving us a rating, if you do give us a five-star, leave a comment that says minus five stars. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's just fair. Just for the fun. Uh, if you want to talk to me on Twitter, it's at Chris R. Patton on Facebook, Christopher.R.Patton, same on Instagram. Uh, I think I'm doing the 6M podcast with, uh, with Tom soon, so there'll be a little bit of Smoking the Bandit going on. We're going to talk about Smoking the Bandit, so if you guys are into that, follow me on Twitter, Facebook, whatever. And uh, everyone have a great weekend. Enjoy Money in the Bank. You guys have a wonderful weekend. Happy 4th of July coming up on Tuesday. If you get the four-day weekend, uh, great. If you don't, I'm sorry. But either way, enjoy yourselves. God bless America. Thank you guys for listening. Let the Wrestling Geeks Alliance be with you. And as always, peace out. Also, anyone from Chicago, A-Town Down, homie. A-Town Down.